that I most definitely need from How's that taste, Dan Essel, Kiki Vanderway? Denver Nuggets. Whatever. Who didn't play last night? Oh, that guy for Denver? Not your fault. Not our fault, man. Guess he can't take care of himself. Not our problem, man. That's a statement. You back up a win at Utah, then go to Denver and take down Doug Moe's Nuggets? Doug Moe used to coach Scott when NBA coaches wore suits. He would wear so five years ago. He would wear the open collar, and the collar of the shirt would go outside the sport coat. Mm. Kind of a big husky guy, you know, kind of guy after the game would drink a lot of scotch. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, happy Thursday, everybody! Welcome uh, to the beat of sports. I just bought a sport coat. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I'm going to a holiday party next month. Like a real sports coat? Do you want me to send a picture of it? Was it in the kids' section or like an adult sports coat? It's, a, it's, it's for an adult. Child's large? No. no? I'm wor- the thing is, I'm worried I might have to get it altered. Oh, oh wow. So, did you? Did, did somebody assist you? Or you just went up and took off the rack? I went on to... You've got to uh, get a custom-tailored suit. Well, I went on to Amazon and oh. typed in da-da-da jacket. And you bought it like that? Yeah. Okay. It arrives today. All right. Send me a picture. Just tell me, if if you open up the jacket, is there a label for Buster Brown in there? No, there's not. Okay. Garanimals. I don't know what that is. <laughs> that doesn't sound real. Garanimals? You wore Garanimals. No. Yes, you did. No. Yes, you did. Come on. Come on. Come clean. I didn't. I don't even it's okay. know. What, it's okay. I don't even know what that is. It's all right. It's okay. Let me see. Okay, you just sent me the picture here. Whoa! Is that velvet? Uh, allegedly. That's a smoking jacket. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That that that, that looks pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's not bad. It's a holiday party. The theme is green. Uh, black pants. Yes. Turtleneck shirt? Haven't decided what, what I'm going to go for with the shirt. Mm. Go shirtless. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. go shirtless. <laughs> anyway. All right, well, good for you. It looks nice. Thank you. Is today the around here yeah. holiday party? Yep. Is the booze flowing yet down the hall? Not yet. All right, are, are they setting up and everything? So there'll be people walking by today. Yes. Oh. And that thing will be happening where we'll be doing the show and then... You, There'll just be people just per- pe- looking through the door, like we're zoo animals or right. something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I didn't dress up today for it. I completely I, forgot. I told you multiple you did. You times. Did. And, and and you know what I thought of it as I was getting out of my car this morning. <laughs> I figured you just kept an emergency suit in your car. I used to keep, um, or like a dress shirt. I used to keep that. I don't know. We've gotten so casual in the world. So. Wow. Do you know what thunder snow is? I do now. First off, did you watch any of the highlights? Because I watched almost all of that Central Michigan, Western Michigan game last night in the snow. No, I didn't. Oh, it was so fun. It was awesome. 
Look at that. You're watching the highlight there now. Isn't that great? Look at this. Look at that. Oh, my God. In a blizzard. Oh, my God. Wasn't that great? Western Michigan won 12 to 10. I think I know the answer to this question. Yeah. You've never called a snow game, right? Of actual snow? Yeah. Falling during the game? Yeah. The game at SMU didn't snow during the game. It snowed the night before and froze over. And that was, was the ice, ice game? all over the place, yeah. but it, it didn't snow during the game. Actually, no, that's the Fox game? Not on Fox, but an actual Fox in the stands at uh, yeah. SMU. Correct. But yeah. you've never called a snow game? I don't think I've done a game where it's been snow. And I know you've been to stores for a baseball game. That got snowed out. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. But anyway, thunder snow. Where you measure, thunder snow means you measure in feet, not inches. But also, it's uh, the precipitation is not rain, it is snow mm-hmm. coming down at such a pace. And that's what is projected in Buffalo, three to six feet of snow, to the point the NFL is looking at moving the Bills-Browns game. Yeah. Because the fear is they will not be able to play the game on Sunday. They did move a Bills game in 2014 because of thunder snow. I remember that, yeah. yeah that's just cool. You know, things like nor'easter, thunder snow. Like we have hurricanes here, and they're pretty dangerous. But you got to admit, if you tell somebody, "Yeah, I can't make it this week," and why well, I've got thunder snow, that's a pretty good excuse, right? Yeah. Oh, hey, where's Bob? He's got thunder snow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm going to get to a couple of listener emails in oh. just a little bit. We haven't done that in a while. We have not. No. I have two today mm-hmm. that I'm going to get to you. Um. So we get to the magic of their loss last night. Against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, tackle that just a little bit um, on our program uh, today. Mike Uganen, you hear on Mondays on the Mike Bianchi Show, open mic. Um, we get Mike like once every four to six months. We respect that he's on Bianchi's show. But I want to talk to him about a, a, a few specific topics. Like Mike and I were alluding to on the transfer portal earlier today, the 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 shift by college coaches and how they now build rosters and some interesting stuff with Mike. Uh, Cam Melder's weekly visit from Pro Football Network. Um, he'll join us in a great history lesson a little bit later on in the program uh, today, all uh, still to come. I mentioned earlier, with the World Cup beginning in a couple of days, did you happen to see the little nugget that now with no place to go because Manchester United doesn't want him back, None of the top clubs in Europe can afford him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to play in a second-tier club mm-hmm. in in an elite league, but yeah. not playing for a team that can win uh, a spot in Champions League. Mm-hmm. And Cristiano Ronaldo and David Beckham have reportedly spoken. Remember I said I think he would come before Messi. Yeah. I could totally see it. He's got nowhere to go. I know. I, it sounds like officer and a gentleman. i got nowhere to go. That'd be a great clip. He's crying at David Beckham's, like, you know. And then Lou Gossett Jr. just walks like, in the room. yelling at him and stuff, yeah. So, anyway, uh, on the eve of the World Cup, that is a little nugget that people have dropped there. So, uh, what else happening with you? Nothing. Do you have any responsibilities at this uh, thing today here? Stay out of people's way? I don't know. Mm. Don't embarrass myself? How many people are going to be coming to the office for the first time in months because there's free food? Yes. <laughs> uh Got a haircut yesterday? You did? Yeah. Take this the right way. Uh-huh. I can't tell. Oh, really? But that's, that's meant as a compliment. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. your hair looks like it did yesterday. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, normally when you get a haircut, I don't know what color it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've changed the look. I don't know if you spent eight hours in the chair. How long was yesterday? Do you want to guess? Two and a half. Longer? Three hours. What is wrong with you? Three hours? Three hours, yeah. Three hours? Yeah. That's like three quarters of a game on CBS Sports Network. I know. Three hours? Yeah. Do you know how many haircuts at Great Clips I can do in three hours? The rest for, of time for you. Fifteen? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, there's the cut, there's the color, there's... Yeah. And? That's it. That's basically it. Wow. Okay. It's a process, man. Okay, can I read you the two emails? Yeah. We haven't done a, a listener email in, I don't know, like two months, right? Mm-hmm. And I meant like the last couple of weeks, and I forgot, whatever. So so I have two. One is, a le- well, actually both are questions. One is a very legitimate question. The other is a story based on something that we talked about, you know, a few years ago that it's just uncomfortable, okay? Okay. Let me, <laughs> let me... Let me give you the first one of a listener email that I think is a pretty good question here. Uh, let me go find it. Hang on. Uh, okay. Um, so, okay. Uh, back in February of last year, mm-hmm. a very dear friend of my wife and I came to me and shared something that was difficult for him to come and discuss. Uh, the company he'd worked with had a difficult time going through COVID. He'd lost his job and had struggled to find a job that was consistent to come close to the pay that he had made before. And like all of us, we dealt with financial issues during COVID and so forth. It was difficult for him to ask for assistance, and he did. Uh, he asked for money, and I know it's always dangerous when you may give a friend uh, a loan or even dollars, not expecting it back, but he's been a special friend. Our families have been friend, uh, friends for quite some time, and it felt like, hey, this is the right thing to do. Okay, I'm going to kind of edit some of this. Yeah, okay? yeah. So he gives him $5,000. Wow, okay. okay? Now, I, I don't know the financial position of the emailer, but he gave him $5,000. And he said it really helped his family out in a significant way and made me feel really good. Uh, certainly not in a position to say, hey, I have something on you, but it made my wife and I feel good to help another family. So oh, far, yeah. we're so good, right? Absolutely, yeah. At the time I gave him the money, I truly had no interest in him paying me back anytime soon. But I felt it was important for me to say something. So I said, look, pay me back in a year. And if you need more time, let me know. Mm -hmm. So far, we're good, right? Yeah. Nothing was said, nor anything needed to be said over the course of the next several months. Until recently, and according to the email, this would take us back to the end of September. Mm -hmm. I had to go home and ask my wife something because a friend of ours brought something up to me and said, hey, did you hear that so-and-so's family's going on a cruise? The family going on a cruise is the one that our emailer gave $5,000 to. Mm -hmm. My first thought was, should I care? Because at the time I gave him the money, I said, look, pay me back in a year. And do I have the right to say parameters that if you get back on your feet, there's a time you should pay me back? But maybe there is a time that if he has reestablished himself, not my business to ask those personal questions. Mm -hmm. So I asked my wife if she thought it was okay for me to ask him about the cruise and who paid for it or find out from someone else who paid for the cruise. My wife was mortified and said, no, I can't do it because it's the wrong thing to do. And I, meaning the guy that loaned the money, had no reason to say anything until at least the year went by. But for some reason, it's bothered me anytime I see him. 
He's never brought up the fact that the family's going on a cruise, but it's the only thing I can think about when I see him. So I ask you the question, is it out of line if I ask him or find out, did somebody give him the cruise free for the family, or did he pay for it? And if he paid for it, should I ask him or do i have a right to be upset you have you honestly you have a right to be upset about that that's your thought yes 50857 by the way in the sex line um it's an interesting one right yes so do you get to determine when hey dude uh you know i see some entertainment expenses here going on uh how are we looking now scott what if the guy says and i don't have this uh response Hey, on February whatever, I'm going to give you $5,000. Do you still have a right to kind of ask him? Yes. <laughs> Scott's kind of at him in here now. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, because it's almost like a level of arrogance of, oh, yeah, we're going to go on a cruise now. But, no. Right, right. No. Well, that's what our email is I'm saying. too annoyed. I'm, I'm annoyed like, for the guy. He came in a time of need. I was glad to help my friend. Uh, I told him, hey, don't worry about it for a while, and we went about our ways, and now he learns, not from mm-hmm. the guy, he learns from somebody else, mm-hmm. and I guess the friend has not brought it up that they're going on a cruise. You bring it up. You bring it up now to the guy. But if you bring it up, he's going to say, well, how do you know? doesn't matter. Wow, that's uncomfortable. You're either going to find out now or after the trip. Wow. Well... No, because you don't necessarily know where someone's going. It's not like that to put out, hey, we're going away. I, I don't know if it's a three, five, seven-day cruise. I have no idea. But somehow you see something post on social. Hey, where were you? We were on a cruise. No. That, no. It will get it will get out. Okay. So you want to confront the guy. Mm-hmm. What's your goal with that? Getting your money. What if he says, I'm going to give you $5,000 in February? The, 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 fine. Let me know. Give me some kind wait, of wait, wait. But what if he tells you that and says... Yeah, we're going on a cruise. Yeah, but then I give you five grand. And his answer is, right. And you said to pay you back in February. I'm going to pay you back in February. Mm. You're uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this, uh, this friendship's gone. This friendship's done Well, now. I'm not saying the friendship has uh, a chance to last. No, but, it won't. But, but I understand you want to challenge the guy, but what do you do if his answer is, yeah, and I'm paying you back in February? Like, do you think you have a right to go, wait, so you got back on your feet and you're doing well? Mm-hmm. And, he, and if his answer is yes, what do you do in that awkward moment? Now you're uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Can I read some texts? Uh, sure. Maybe he's going on a gambling cruise to win enough money wow. to pay you back. Okay, there you go. <laughs> My first priority would be to pay the 5000 before I did anything like going on a cruise mm-hmm. or vacation. That's mm-hmm. just me. Right. You shouldn't get upset or ask about the cruise because you gave him a year. If right. If year that, goes that, by, that, that, then you ask. Right. That person is... That's, I mean, that person's probably the most right out of all of us. Well, but I'm not saying you're emotionally wrong either mm-hmm. because it's natural. If you help a friend out in need... And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, it doesn't look like you're in need anymore, but should I have been first on the list, like before the cruise? And so, mm. I'm not saying your reaction's wrong, yeah. but that last emailer of like, wait, hey, you told the guy to pay me back in a year? Or do you think the receivee of the thing needs to be like, maybe I should tell and be like, hey, I didn't pay for this, this was given to us, to avoid Well, a- that's what our emailer's asking. Should mm. he confront him? And you said yes, but... 
What if he's so? How do you know I'm going on a cruise? Mm-hmm. A lot going on there. Sell people out, man. There's a lot going on there. All right, five zero eight five seven on uh, the text. Moral line. of the story: What don't have friends. Well, I told you, it's one of the big advantages of my life is I really have no friends because I don't want to go to your birthday parties. I don't want to be in situations like that. But it's a great situation. It's a great conundrum. You don't use that word. Well, like I said, we'll get more responses at five eight five seven. I I didn't even give you the second one, which I will. Uh, we'll get to that and more. Uh, Magic lose last night. I don't know what to know about that, but we'll come back and uh, tackle all the many things we want to get to in the program. It's the beat of sports. The Beta Sports, we're brought to you by our friends at Seminole Power Sports, number one in fast fun. Rhino Road in Sanford, Highway 441 in uh, Eustis. Visit SeminolePowerSports.com. It's the holiday season. There are great deals going on now. And uh, treat yourself, whether it's for the water, the road, dirt, camping, tailgating. You'll find it all at uh, Seminole Power uh, Sports. Um, What do you got? Maybe the Deadbeats in-laws are paying for the cruise. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. Yeah. Is it wrong for the guy to go, uh, for the guy to go on the cruise? Yes. But if you do not provide parameters for when the money need to be paid back outside of the one year or how that family could spend the money, uh, it's done in your business at that point. Right. Because the playoff, uh, what, what the first uh, a texter said is, how would you feel, Scott? Because you initially said you wanted to confront the guy, right? Mm-hmm. What if you go and confront the guy and he goes... Yeah, my wife's parents are paying for the cruise for us because it's been a really tough few months and they want us to enjoy a little bit of time. Cool. Oh, you feel terrible. Cut it out. You would feel awful. You'd be like, oh. You gave him a year. Scott would let him keep the money then. He'd be like, never mind. Never pay me back. You gave him a year, but I would confront, I would 100% confront him on the cruise. Uh, But then there's a bunch of... Cruise packages can be purchased on a program of payments. Maybe it was well into the payments when COVID hit and just continued to make the payments because it's a possibility. Oh, shut up. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's a good point, maybe. I would want to know if my five... It kind of sounds like, though, in the text or in the email that they may have just booked something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I may be wrong. That text may be right, and I was joking before. I would want to know if my $5,000 paid for the cruise. If so, I want That's repayment. That's the whole argument the guy feels. <laughs> to start monthly. Payment to start monthly? Yes. Oh, okay. The pool league I belong to has a cruise. By the way, what kind of payment plan do you want? You want 1000 back a month now? I mean, what is it that you want? 1000 a week. The pool, uh, pool league I belong to has a cruise where you put down a deposit and then the balance must be paid before the boarding date so you can make small payments up to that date. Okay. And you may all be right, as we learned, Scott, many people... Maybe the deadbeats in Las Vegas. No, no. I mean, many people that had trips leading up to COVID never went on and, and, and now are, you know, going on those trips. But mm-hmm. I, I think the email was more like, I think he recently booked this, yeah. you know? It's a good question. It's a really good question. I'm going to save the second one. Okay. Because it's a little bit deeper. Well, it's not deeper. It's funny. But I don't want to spoil. Uh, cut ourselves short on time. So, ah. first off, you would be sweating beyond broadcast news anchor sweat to go ask the guy for the 5000 Oh, yeah. <laughs> you would pace back and forth, talk yourself out of it. Maybe I'll do it. Never mind. I think, uh, you know, I can't. Like, uh, Yeah. 
Mark, and they'd be, be afraid his aunts would make you feel worse, and he'd be like, you know what, just keep it, never pay me back. Mark, do you want to know how long I have to hype myself up just to call my dentist to make an appointment? Uh, it's like 30 minutes. Yeah. So. I got I to, gotta like, make sure I'm, like, dressed nice to make a phone call. I'm trying to think. Well, does the guy always, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure he owes it to you to tell you that he's going. Like, does he need your permission? Like, what's the cutoff? Can he go to a restaurant but not a nice restaurant because he borrowed money from you? It's all about to use a term that you <laughs> use a lot. Like, is it okay if they're going to Sizzler, but he can't go to Shula's? What now? <laughs> you know what it comes down to, Mark? What's that? Optics. It is. How do the optics look to the guy that loaned you the money? Right. Like, if you went... Like if you went camping at the Ocala Forest, are you okay with that trip? Are you not okay with the cruise to the Bahamas? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah. If if you've got a balcony suite on this yeah. cruise line, <laughs> do, do you walk by groceries and go, oh, hmm, Pepperidge Farm uh, mint cookies, huh? Maybe we can uh, go easy on the uh, chocolate chips, huh? Don't <laughs> have to upgrade the cookie. I mean, is that what you're doing next? Huh? Yeah. 10 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJRR HD2. Did I see you put premium gas in the car, Bob? What is wrong with regular? Huh? <laughs> right? If you're going to go better premium, than me? Yeah. If you're going to go premium, why don't you think about paying back the money? That, that's what could happen. 10 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJRR HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Mark Danielson, Beat of Sports. Magic loss last night uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Got down early. Um,. Did get back in the game of the fourth quarter, but then a run by Minnesota, and uh, they win. Uh, the Magic last night uh, shot decent 45% from the three-point line, but 9 of 35, 26% from three, and ran into a Minnesota team, which had Anthony Edwards go off big in the first half. He finished with 35. Carl Anthony Towns uh, went for 30, and uh, Rudy Gobert was... Good for 16 points and uh, eight rebounds, and Minnesota uh, beats uh, the Magic, who dropped to four and eleven. I, I mean, there's nothing to beat up the Magic. It was another night where more guys out injured. Wendell Carter Jr. is out. Um, and the Magic last night, Chumo KK, Bol Bol, Mo Bamba, Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs uh, started played. 30-plus minutes, um, Mo played 29, and, uh, you know, Mo was 8 points, 10 rebounds. He was 0 for 5 in the three-point line. But, again, I mean, this is a this is a limited roster right now. We've talked about the insane number of injuries, and I I don't know what to tell anybody, and, and the Magic aren't telling you anything, so it's just one of those things that now... Um, this is, Scott, am I doing this in, in, in mid-November, but I guess I am. Looking so, at mock drafts? No, no. <laughs> so the team's 4-11, and okay? Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you anything that anybody doesn't know if you follow the Magic. They're 0-6 in the road, okay? Scott, play this game with me for a moment, okay? Mm-hmm. They're at Chicago tomorrow. Uh, tough game? Yeah. Okay. Then they have the... Revenge un- game. Then they have the unique... Uh, two-game series. They're at Indiana Saturday and Monday. Mm-hmm. Indiana's actually played fa- fairly decent ball for a team that people thought was going to be tanking. Then the Magic are off after that Monday game against Indiana. 
and don't play until Friday of Thanksgiving week. But then they got the Sixers for the two-game home set on Friday and Sunday. Okay, out, out of those five games, what do you expect them to do as far as wins? One? Yeah. Then at Brooklyn, home for Atlanta, at Cleveland, at Toronto, Milwaukee, and then the Clippers at home, then, again, the two-game set, Toronto, then Atlanta, then at Boston for two, at Atlanta. Good grief. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, uh, sorry, this is going to be on 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. That's the next 17 games for the Magic. <laughs> That schedule... It, it, Not getting any easier. So right now, if you sit there and go, okay, what's realistic? I don't know. Is 5-12 and 12 realistic out of that? Maybe. And if it is, that's 9-23. and 23. I mean, are we doing this even before Thanksgiving where you're going, all right, that that's it? I don't know. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's, you know... Some guys that come back and get healthy, and you win a couple of games you're not supposed to win, and maybe it's eight and nine. Uh, again, I'm just being realistic. Two with Philly, uh, two with Atlanta, two with Toronto, two with Boston, Milwaukee, at Toronto, at Cleveland, um, at Brooklyn. Who the hell knows what's going on there? But uh, wow, man, that's the next 17 games. Uh, and if you want to throw in the 18th game, would be at Houston who beat Dallas in, in Dallas last night. But uh, that's a tough stretch, and if you can't get healthy, wow. Uh, and, and, and I feel for Jamal Mosley. I, I really do. And I, 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 I say this of a guy that looks like he's a really nice guy. I don't know if you're going to be able to judge outside of a young team that enjoys playing with each other and has some pieces, and, and clearly you got to get Powell back. What are you going to be able to judge after two years of a guy that's just dealt with so many injuries to know what you have with him? Because I I can't fault the guy that last night looks and goes, all right, we'll piecemeal this together in in, in some form and kind of figure it out. And, you know, next man up mentality, which you often hear football coaches say, it it. it kind of works in college, although you lose certain guys at certain position and the next man up thing, you're like, yeah, but it's a significant drop. In the NBA, with rosters the way they are, when when you add a few injuries along the way, you can't just say, hey, next guy up. you got to be realistic. And last night's game, I mean, last night's game is over early. Again, they got back into the fourth quarter, but can't sit and analyze possessions and go, hey, this, this, this. It, it, it's one thing if the team's healthy. I mean, if everybody's healthy and, and the team is poor on defense, this team's bad on defense because they're, you know. And Chimo KK is a good on-ball defender, but when you're asking him at times to be an offensive guy, you know, and then certain matchups, again, Bull Bull had a great offensive night uh, last night uh, for the Magic. It's just, I mean, you're handcuffed. And that kind of, you know, I mean, Bol Bol goes for 26-12, and, and he's not the only reason why the Magic lost last night, okay? 
but he's minus 22 because that stretch of the start of the game, he's on the floor when Minnesota is getting baskets at will. I mean, there are a couple of possessions. I thought it was five on none. And that's just what Jamal Mosley's dealing with on a nightly basis right now until guys get back, and I have no idea when guys are getting back. So uh, Tonight, UCF Night Talk is live at Island Wing Company by the campus of UCF. We'll talk with Coach Gus Malzahn, a couple of night players, invite night fans to come on down and join us in advance of their football game against Navy uh, coming up. Guess the number of pages in Navy's weekly notes. Oh. Game notes, game notes for Navy. Now, it could be they don't put out a lot because it's Navy and or maybe they put it a lot. I'm not trying to set you up either way, but guess the number of pages in Navy game notes. 30. 30. Final answer? Yes. No. Am I too low? I want to see what your second guess is. Maybe you go low and say 19. Maybe you go high and say something bigger. What What? What, what are you comfortable 45. with? 45. 45. Yeah, went up. 99. Wow! 99 pages. That's in depth. This guy did not print out 99 pages. Why not? Because you care about trees, and there's just some pages in there. But but I, you know, you do have to take a look at some of the stuff when they break down. Like they put in there, as long as Navy's been in the league, and we've only played Navy three times. In their game notes, mm-hmm. they'll put typical schedule for several players, oh, which, okay, well, which nice. is like up at five, mm-hmm. and like doing real military training. Mm-hmm. Before class, yeah, like engineering classes, then football practice, then more military training <laughs> before they go to bed at midnight, and you're kind of like, I put that in the notes as well. I like that. That's yeah, that's a pretty good one. That's good. Yeah, you know, or so and so is the son of a former rear admiral mm-hmm. that led us to major military wins. <laughs> that's a pretty good note, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I'm going to go very self-serving here. Yeah. Um, By the way, 21 players on their roster from Florida. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's awesome. So I've learned this in my in my years of calling games for Orlando City. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't have to name any names of teams, but do you ever just look at game notes and be like, what are you guys doing? This is it. This is what I'm getting. Uh, yes. But, 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 like, I have figured out what teams I'm like, they give me great notes. Other teams, you've given me nothing. Yeah, the audience doesn't or what, care. Or one team that most, just... most game notes should be far smaller mm-hmm. and updated. Yes. I mean, you leave stuff in there that doesn't even, it, it has no relevance anymore, something like that. There's one team in the like league. If you got 10 guys named a preseason watch list, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter in mid, mid-November. Yeah. Who cares? There's one team in the league that uh, I've learned... After week two, they just... Mail it in. Stop doing them. Oh, they yeah. just stopped. The roster's changed after that. Yeah. All right, enough media complaining. Um, Mike Huguenin, who you can catch on Open Mic every Monday, uh, wrapping up the weekend of uh, college football. Uh, we like to invite Mike on about every six months to talk about a couple of interesting topics. We're going to get to that next. Levine Sports and Mark Daniels on uh, this Thursday brought to you by friends at Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford. Uh, shop GreenwayDodge.com and GreenwayFord.com. Black Friday is now. Your complete satisfaction is our commitment. Greenway. 
the only way. Uh, you can catch Mike Hugan on every Monday morning. He joins Mike Bianchi to recap the weekend of college football. He's the national executive editor and college sports writer on 3.com. I invited Mike on today to discuss a few things that uh, Mike wouldn't do typically because he's recapping the weekend, but some deeper college football topics and issues. Mike, good morning. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I want to ask you, as now we're going through a second season, if you feel like we got enough data to analyze how the transfer world is working and how we're seeing coaches deal with pay-for-play, whatever you want to call it, and utilizing the portal to build a roster and see fewer maybe high school commitments and the type of coaches that are going that route. I know Gus is you know, it's one of them, but his plan is different, maybe going to the Big 12. But have you seen enough trends to get an idea where all this is going? Yeah, I think that if you're a coach who um, doesn't delve into the portal, you're, you're making a gigantic mistake. Um, no, there's, there are outliers. You look at the top three teams in the college football playoff rankings, they have two combined starters from the portal. Georgia has none. Ohio State has one. Michigan has one. Uh, Alabama's got four. Uh, USC has nine. UCLA has eight. And that's, you know, the biggest game of the weekend is UCLA-USC. 17 of the 44 starters are transfers, and another eight or nine are going to play key roles. So, um, and, and I think using that game as a blueprint, Lincoln Riley, a first-year coach, went heavily into the portal because his roster was, frankly, devoid of talent because of Clay Helton's recruiting. Chip Kelly, on the other hand, obviously an established coach in his fifth year at UCLA, he went into the portal because he's not a good recruiter. Um, and they especially went heavy on the defensive side because he and his staff realized uh, what we've done on the recruiting trail defensively, it, it's not good enough. We've got to get new guys in here. Um, and I don't think that, you know, I don't think that Lincoln Riley going forward is going to bring in 16 transfers on an annual basis. But I think most coaches, the sweet spot for most teams is going to be probably between 8 and 12. Um, I think you're looking for immediate starters and also big-time depth. And and you're right, there's no question it has impacted high school recruiting. Heck, it even literally changed the recruiting calendar because the week after Thanksgiving now is a dead period. Uh, That that came into play about three weeks ago, and the the reason the NCA explicitly said in its reasoning, we expect that week to be used by coaches to talk with their current players, i.e., we want you to go into the portal or, or not. So um, it, it's made a, a sea change. I think there's, that's one reason why more and more kids committed over the summer. They want to lock in their spots. Um, and I think you're going to see a heck of a lot of coaches when they, when they talk about their signing classes. Hey, coach, you only signed 18, and yet you have 24 open scholarships. The answer is going to be, yep, we're going to get the other six from the portal. Can you see, and again, we're a couple years into this, where the G5 has become kind of a development area for some P5 leagues to say, look, I got my eye on these guys. They're playing good competition within reason. They've got 22 starts. How has that developed the last couple of years? Yeah, I think you you look around. Um, Kansas is leading sack guys, Lonnie Phelps. He was a first-team all-MAC guy. 
um, Troy Brown, starting linebacker at Ole Miss, their leading tackler. Cincinnati's a middle tra- linebacker guy. You're yeah. a transfer from Central Michigan, where he was a first, a three-time first-team yeah. All-Mac guy. But I think it goes both ways. I mean, look at Jake Hayner at Fresno. Heck, look at John Rice Plumley at UCF. Guys who transferred down from the Power Five. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be yeah. If you're a coach at a lower level. G5, a MAC school, a Conference USA school, yeah, you're in danger of losing guys into the portal, guys you you sort of discovered on the recruiting trail and developed into good players, and they're going to leave. The flip side, though, you're also you're going to benefit from Power 5 guys dropping down. Um, I think it, it it's a, 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 a frankly, a, good, a pretty good trade-off. Uh, I think the emphasis is going to be higher in basketball because I think if you're a group of five basketball coach and you have a stud player, the, the idea that he's going to finish his career at your school is that's that's being extremely naive. I don't think it's as big a deal in football because I think it works and it works both ways in basketball as well, obviously. But I I think the the idea that oh my God, the group of five schools they're they're going to lose all their talent and yeah they they are going to lose some, but they're also going to benefit from power five guys dropping down. Coaches are creative. Recruiters are very creative. Can you envision in the next several years where you've got coaches that identify players in high school that say, look, I like you, but I don't have a slot for you. You go here, this G5 program, this coach, I know well, and I'll call you in two years, almost again, using that route to say, go there before you come here. I don't think it'll be that explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the way they used to work with junior college. But I, I think it's naive to think that if you're, for instance, if you're Nick Saban uh, or Billy Napier or Mike Norvell or Cristobal or who, whoever you are in Power Five, you discover a kid on the recruiting trail and you're like, he's a little bit too raw. Um, but let's still bring him in and, and tell the kid we really like you. But and then let's see what happens with that kid at a different school. I think there's a lot of that going on, but I don't think it's ex- necessarily that explicit. I.e., go there and we'll, we'll and we'll bring you back. But I, I think there is a lot of recruiting going on where you know we, we can't get you in this class, but we do like you as a player. We're going to keep an eye on you going forward. Let me ask you, we're still a couple of years of the earliest of a 12-team college football playoff, but as we watch the committee in some form analyze these teams and the criteria put into it, I'm kind of curious your thoughts. As we get to 12 teams, and now we're going to be debating about three lost teams, how might that process, you think, change among those in the committee if it does change? That's, that's how, I think it's hard to say because I think every committee does – there is a – personnel change in terms of the committee, but going forward, let's look at it this way. This year, there's great potential to have two teams from the Pac-12, I'm sorry, two teams from the Big Ten and two teams from the SEC. I think that will spur the movement to a 12-team playoff quicker, but I don't don't think necessarily the, the... the way the committee operates is going to change if it goes from 4 to 12. I think, you know, this week you've got Oregon at 12 and North Carolina at 13. Uh, those teams would be there if, if it were a 12-team playoff or a 14 playoff. I think the big difference is going to come that while you look at the top seven and say, okay, we've got seven teams that are possible for four spots, you're going to say we've got 20 teams possible for 12 spots. It, it, it makes things more interesting in November. Um, and I work with Ivan Mazel, and Ivan really think today, you know, you, you look at the how the end of the season is, it, it's here, 
and there's not a heck of a lot of intrigue, frankly. Whereas if it were a 12-team playoff, there would be a boatload of intrigue. Yeah, I think, and I was talking with Mike earlier, I played a clip of one of the ESPN shows where, you know, we're picking on TCU, and then we're just throwing out data that would back up their strength of schedule, and I get it about the optics, but as you know, sometimes good leagues beat each other up. And that's the that's the case in the Big 12. Yeah. If your worst team is West Virginia or Iowa State, heck, Oklahoma could finish last right. in the Big 12. If that's your worst team, that is a good league. So, yeah, the idea of TCU, you know, TCU's beaten teams. They've, they've beaten five teams that were ranked at the time they played. Um, and I think it's, if, 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 if you take the name TCU and replace it with Oklahoma or Texas, nobody would be saying a word about the number four ranking. But because it's TCU, you know, a sort of a nouveau riche kind of program, um, and, and I know TCU was awesome in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, but it's, it's all about perception, and that's, that's a little bit bothersome, but that's never going to go away. Um, and, frankly, a 12-team playoff, um, I think you might have some perceptions change because you're, once a you know, team like TCU gets into a playoff and does something, and people go, hey, yeah, that, that program's actually pretty good. I want to end with this. I brought this up a couple of times, and I keep telling people I believe Georgia's going to beat LSU in the uh, conference championship game. But many people have said in this past week, it doesn't matter what Georgia does in the SEC title game. They're going to get in. And I'm just curious, if LSU is to beat Georgia, and let's say you watch the game, and like on that day, they're a touchdown or more better. If TCU is undefeated, the winner of Michigan-Ohio State uh, is there, and then you get into this argument of a twelve and uh, uh, an eleven and two LSU, a USC team that would have wins against UCLA, Notre Dame, and whoever in the Pac twelve is Georgia an absolute lock if they lost to LSU by touchdown plus? Uh, I, that's I think it's ninety nine percent yes that El- that Georgia gets in regardless unless they lose something like forty four thirteen, and I think the potential also exists for three SEC teams, which would be oh. You got to grit your teeth because let's say LSU beats Georgia 31-24. Let's say Michigan or Ohio State blows out the other. TCU has a loss. The Pac-12 champ has two losses. You could have Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, and the Michigan Ohio State winner. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that that possibility exists. But you'll admit though that I mean USC's resume, if it goes that way in three weeks, is pretty good. They will have closed the season with three big wins in a row. Um, right now, their schedule, I would argue, is not that good, but they have the potential. They got UCLA this week, Notre Dame next week, mm-hmm. and then obviously the Pac-12 title game if they beat UCLA. So they're going to have some momentum heading into the into the postseason. No question. I still think though that USC is a long shot right now, and I think t- an unbeaten TCU, I think, is a lock. Uh, Mike Huguenin is uh, on Twitter uh, at Mike Huguenin, H-U-G-U-E-N-I-N. Uh, he's uh, the national executive editor and college football, uh, sports writer at On3.com. Check his work out there. Always good catching up, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Uh, we come back. More football talk. Cam Miller's uh, by for his weekly chat about the performers on the field that stood out. We'll get to that next. Has the snap. Makes the handoff. Rolls left. Rolls in zone for six. Time to check in with Pro Football Network's Cam Meller for the latest on college football. What a grab! And a touchdown! Get the latest college football news at profootballnetwork.com. 
Uh, Costa Storm last week. We didn't uh, do a show on Thursdays. A couple of weeks since we've spoken to our good friend Cam Miller, Senior Director of College Football Network and uh, the NFL Draft at Pro Football Network. Uh, follow them at ProFootballNetwork.com and CollegeFootballNetwork.com. Plus, he's one of the few people that literally is following the XFL Draft. Am I right or what? <laughs> I mean, following is an understatement, I think, at this point. It's a, it's a draft, right? So I have to be, I have to be in tune. But it's always it's, it's nice to support the other endeavors in professional football. It's also nice to see them as athletes that you call it as a college football guy. So to me, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's full circle, and it's really fun to watch. You know what's unique about it? And look. It, it, it is different than the NFL draft. I do like the positional draft, though. I think it's kind of interesting for leagues like this that we're not putting everybody into a pot and saying we're focusing on quarterbacks and here's offensive skill players and DBs. I do like that part of it. Yeah, it's super unique. I like the fact that you isolate them out and then you can, you know, you really get to see where teams go or, or what teams are going to run offensively as well. Uh, in that sense, you know, a lot of teams that are going to run a lot of eleven personnel or multiple tight ends are not going to they're not going to draft a receiver first. They're going to go the other way around. So. I actually like some of the way these rosters have come out for some some area teams as well. So it's uh, it'll be super interesting, I think, to watch if they can uh, you know continue it off the ground and get a full season in the next spring. I know you're watching Max in action, and last night Central Michigan, Western Michigan, I it, it was must watch. I could not turn it off in the snow. It was awesome. It, it, uh, you know, being here in Ohio too, I, we didn't get any of that snow unfortunately here in Columbus. So I'm almost living a uh, jealousy through them. Uh, but watching that, watching. Sean Tyler and Bert Emanuel do what they were able to do with their feet in that slop, so to speak, that it turned into a couple inches on the ground. I mean, that was that was peak action, I'd say, peak midweek action on a Wednesday night. And ultimately, I can't believe realistically how that kid thing came out and, uh, and that Western was able to pull it out. I don't want to ask you something. Mike Bianchi earlier today was talking, and he had Brendan Sinone on, who covers Florida State, brought up the point about Jordan Travis. And Mike said next year he you know could get some early heisman buzz and brennan said well assuming he comes back and he meant two things about that one you never know in the transfer portal world is who's throwing dollars and then about the nfl i'm not i mean you tell me what's the what's the scouting report on jordan travis the product right now jordan travis as a graduated senior already is already getting looks for the all-star games so i i think if that's where we're at right now from hearing those those conversations i've heard I can say we're probably leading to Jordan Travis not returning if he gets a good grade from the scouting services and gets one of these invites to a senior or a Shrine Bowl. So uh, we might be seeing the last of Jordan Travis in an FSU uniform. That being said, if he does come back, he, he could further his draft stock. Um, we, we do have a little bit clearer picture as well for round one and round two for the 2024 draft release right now. So he would need a dramatically improved season to, to encroach on those. Right now, I think he's potentially a day three player with, with uh, he's got a great arm. Uh, I mean, there's immense talent, and the growth we've seen from 2021 to 2022, where you look at you see, is he making NFL throws, those throws that are outbreaking routes? Is he throwing his receivers open? Is he going through progressions? And he's doing all of it. And, I mean, some of these sideline throws, they're reminiscent of Zach Wilson's rise, where he was throwing Dax Milne open, and he was hitting him 20, 30, 40 yards down the field perfect accuracy, and that's what Jordan Travis is doing right now. I think he's shown a lot in the NFL draft this season. All right, we always spend a little bit of time on quarterbacks. I'm going to throw three names at you. Uh, two, you tell me where they might be in their future. Then the other one is out west. They put up monster numbers. Um, Anthony Richardson has played better. He's not dominating games. He's not hurting Florida. And people still kind of wonder, is his draft stock still that high that it's a legitimate question at the end of this year? And how do you explain Tyler Van Dyke? Uh, it's tough. Both of them are still draftable at this point, as, as crazy as it seems. If you had asked me in middle October, and I think we probably did talk about it, 
neither of them were, you know, proving that they could be a potential NFL quarterback or a franchise quarterback. I think Anthony Richardson has shown a lot more recently. There, there is a skill set that he brings to the table that you can't coach. And then there are some things that he does with the football that, again, you can't coach. And, and the things he does wrong, I think, right now are things that you can coach. Uh, and so, to me, right now, Richardson is a lot more draftable than Tyler Van Dyke would be. I think Van Dyke would serve to come back and, and we do him better justice that way. But Richardson's ability to play outside of the structure of the offense is, you know, that's what you can't coach. But right now, if you, if you just get him in and get him in an NFL offense and have a quarterback coach work on just that, I think he can be, you know, you can unlock some of the talent because uh, or some, some of the better skills in down-to-down consistency, which is what he needs. But he is a special kind of kid with that on talent and that speed. A couple of years ago, everybody looked at Michael Penix and Indiana, the great run. It was different the following year. Now Washington, he's had his moments in Andy Uch, went through for 408 um, against Oregon in what was a wild and crazy football game. What's the Penix read? It's, uh, you know, big energy coming from him right now, and I think it's all warranted. I think if you look back at 2019, this was a kid that you might have said was a first-round pick, uh, and then it's never really panned out. And ultimately, he's, he's suffering from injuries and, and lack of sustainability at that Indiana program. He needed a switch. He needed the change. So a back to the transfer portal where it's helping him a ton. But on the field, this is the guy with maybe the best accuracy in the draft class or in college football. Uh, also an incredibly strong arm. You can't help but conjure up notions of Michael Vick because of how effortless his, it looks from a left-hander like that. He looks just like Michael Vick did at times. And so I think if you have that, he has got power in the arm and a super athletic kid, but he doesn't rely on the athleticism. I think he's more pro-ready than Anthony Richardson is, but I would say Anthony Richardson has the higher ceiling, so to speak, to use draft terms there. But I think both of them get drafted. Uh, one, uh, Richardson a little bit higher than Penix, but I think he right now slides into that day two range where he's a, he's a guy that teams can hope that uh, they can coach him up and get him to start in a few years. Am I right, and you tell me, running backs, and it's always interesting how we judge running backs these days, B. John Robinson at Texas has probably lived up to the hype. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, I know, dinged up a little bit. Um, who's the third best uh, back as far as draftable, and can I make an argument for Zach Evans? Absolutely, and uh, honestly, he's where I go right now. We're, we're in the process of updating all of our our rankings as we get to, to the end of the season. He's the one who I think has... I guess that raised his draft stock the most at this point. Um, I think he's helping his case by showcasing he can run in between the tackles, but then also run outside. Sean Tucker was, was there for us. Jack Charbonnet was there for us as well. Both of them sort of do a little bit. They're, they're one-dimensional this year. It didn't really help themselves this season. Sean Tucker somehow didn't uh, surprise or didn't help himself with that 6-0 start. Um, to me, it's Zach Evans. It's also Devin A. Chain at Texas A&M, and I think it's because they do – both so well. They're, they're pass catchers on the backfield. They're shifty in space. They can create on their own. And they're also, they take what the defense is going to give them based on when their offensive line, offensive line blocks for them. So to me, Devin A. Chain, Zach Evans right there for me in that, that three. But also Blake Corum from Michigan is right there in that three to five range for me. Who are this year's dominant defensive ends that we'll see get drafted early? Uh, yeah, I mean, outside of Will Anderson, uh, Miles Murphy, you have LSU's duo. I think a lot of people sleep on Allie Gang. I know he's had the injuries. Um, and then B.J. Ojolari, another guy that people obviously know about right now. Um, but both of the LSU kids, I think, have incredibly high ceilings. A couple players that I think you probably need to know. We know who Jared Verso is, and I think he's a first-round talent as well. Um, but if you look outside of that, Tyree Wilson is a guy that if, if we're looking at players that the NFL is going to value a lot more than maybe their production on the field. 
is going to showcase. You have the, a, a dual situation where Will McDonald at, at Iowa State, he doesn't quite have the elite traits, but he's got an amazing college resume. He's not going to get drafted as high as people think. Tyree Wilson, Texas Tech, he's not going to have double-digit sacks in his career, but he's going to be drafted in that first round or at that opening of the second round because he's six foot seven and 265 pounds, moves like he's uh, six feet, you know, 200. So to me, Tyree Wilson is that guy that people are going to need to hear about uh, come April. Um, one more position I'm interested, uh, uh, defensive backs. Uh, is Joey Porter the first DB off the board? Is that a lock today? It, it is not. I, I still give it to Keely Ringo. If you look at the Georgia quarterback in Tennessee, how he played that game against Tennessee, against the high-powered offense and what he was able to do uh, against the interception, and then basically it was avoided for the rest of the game. I think that's his, his ability. You know, I People want to look at plays on the ball from cornerbacks and I think I look at the inverse, where I look at if a kid is not making plays on the ball, why? And it's probably because he's being avoided. It's almost like that Ahmad Soft Gardner. He, he was essentially avoided his final season at Cincinnati. Porter's good, very good. I think he's maybe the second best corner in this draft class as well. And if you look at that, his production too has, quote, gone downhill in terms of his plays on the ball from the opening of the season. It's because teams are starting to avoid him. He is, he is incredibly talented, but I, I give the edge to Ringo. I want to ask you about a couple of games and matchups this weekend. We talked recently about uh, what Brett Bielema is doing in that big, old-style offensive line. Could it give Michigan some trouble this weekend? I would love to say so, but I ultimately don't think so. I think of uh, what they do well, Michigan does just a little bit better in all facets. That defensive line for Michigan is incredibly difficult to crack. And ultimately, you know, Illinois gets a lot of credit for their defensive backs and their secondary right now. But I think Jerzon Newton, their defensive tackle, is is one of the players that might be one of the better players at his position across the entire nation. Unfortunately, though, he gets to go up against Olu Olubatine, the All-American center from Michigan, and then Trent A. Jones in that offensive line at Michigan, which uh, they're going to repeat as the Joe Moore Award uh, as the best offensive line in the country. They are that stacked. So. Michigan's going to mitigate what Illinois does best, unfortunately, and we're going to, you know, we're going to get to an eleven and zero versus eleven and zero the game next weekend. I think between Michigan and Ohio State. Talk about that next week. I know they got a great tight end, and they've started to play better. Notre Dame now is, I mean, ranked, and and here they are, Boston College. They should win. Then then USC. Um, how good is this talent of this team? They're maybe not great at some positions such as quarterbacks, but is there better talent than even the record? It's got three losses there. Yeah, I, you know, those three losses can be largely attributed to their quarterback play, right? Uh, the Marshall game, they drove down, were in the red zone, threw two interceptions, and eventually benched Buckner. So, to, to me, this team has out uh, exceeded expectations, given the, the fact that they have a below-average quarterback. And no offense to Drew Pine, or even Tyler Buckner when he was playing quarterback for him, it's, it, they need a little bit better of a quarterback before they're going to crack anything uh, more than a, a teens in the rankings. So to me, yes, you can handle your business against Boston College. We'll see what how they shape up against USC to end the season. But Isaiah Foskey, all-world all defensive end, and honestly, Brandon Joseph, after Caleb LeBourne shook him and uh, broke his ankles in a highlight reel that went viral, he's played like the guy that once led the nation in interceptions on defense as well. So they, they the talent is carrying them at, at unlikely positions this season. Um, not pro prospect, although you can certainly add that. Which quarterbacks had the better year of the two LA teams, and then who's got the better talent, USC or UCLA? That's a tough one. That's I think they're they're relatively on par in terms of talent as a team. I think Lincoln's building something a little bit maybe special. Uh, ultimately, Dorian Thompson Robinson has made himself much more draft eligible than he ever has in his best year in five years out in LA. 
Um, ultimately, you have to give the edge to Caleb Williams. There is an arm strength that I don't think we've seen in college football in some time. If you look at some of his throws he's able to make, there's anticipation, there is accuracy. There's also the ability to take something off of his passes, but when he really gets able to, to plant his punch foot and turn his torque his hips, this guy is throwing footballs that, you know, we'd see triple digits if he was a baseball pitcher. So this is a kid with a special arm, and, you know, Caleb's going to challenge for number one between him and Drake May next season. Uh, you know something about everybody. So when I say, how is Jim Morris 6-5 and five at UConn, is there a player or two that I should know about? Jackson Mitchell, the linebacker at UConn. This is a guy that if you watch UConn and you're like, okay, how, how many times can a linebacker make a play or a special play for a defense? It's every game. And then for Jackson Mitchell's case, it's every single game and probably even every single half at this point. Jackson Mitchell, number eight, if you watch UConn football, you're going to watch this. Uh, this kid a nose for the football, uh, instinctively can fit any run hole, uh, also can then cover underneath, and he's a special dude. But Zion Turner as well, the quarterback, a true freshman and a guy who probably shouldn't doesn't belong at UConn, but Jamora was able to get him there, and he's showcasing now that you know he, he played, he's playing a little bit uh, like a like a true freshman or a young kid to start the year when he did get thrust in the lineup. But uh, this is a team that that went in and beat Utah State and really put themselves on the map, and we've been watching them ever since. Uh, Mitchell, by the way, 113 tackles last year, 117 already this year, and he's got another game uh, to play. And probably are, they're going to probably be seven and five. They play Army uh, uh, on Saturday, and what a job by Jim Mora uh, Jr. Uh, Cam Miller is on Twitter, and uh, we encourage you to go follow him there for lots of great football stuff uh, at Cam Miller and the work, of course, at uh, uh, Pro Football Network and CollegeFootballNetwork.com. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you. You as well, man. Thanks as always. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Football heavy, you know, as well. A lot of football stuff. It's all about the X's and O's, man. The Jimmies and the Joes. Them too. Yeah. You want, more, you, want you want a couple more uh, texts? Text from in. our question earlier today. Yes. Let me reset for those that are wondering. Uh, I hadn't done an email from a listener in a while. So a friend loaned somebody five thousand dollars who went through some struggles, lost a job during COVID, hadn't kind of found himself. Everything. He said, "Look, here's five grand. You know what? Just pay me back in a year." That was last February and recently learned that the guy that he lent the money to was taking his family on a cruise, and he felt torn. Do I confront him and ask him, if you're doing well enough to take the family on the cruise, can you pay me back? The guy's wife, who lent the money, said, no, don't do that. It would be horrible. And the question is, is it okay to ask, confront him? Uh, Scott originally was adamant, yes, you ask him, and then I think we maybe talked him out of it. But uh, the question is, does he have a right to ask him? Or if he said, hey, pay me back in a year, then he pays you back in a year. I'm going on a cruise tomorrow. Ask the crybaby <laughs> if he wants me to collect his money for him. Wow. Wow. Or, a little bit more sensible, perhaps it was canceled by COVID and a new booking date has arrived and it was paid earlier. Again, we've said, I I, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the guy who lent the money still doesn't want to ask. Correct. Which puts you in the spot of either A, saying, well, yeah, we planned this during COVID, then you'd feel bad, mm-hmm. or... No, I didn't use your money. Someone bought this uh, for us. Mm-hmm. And there's that awkwardness. Very much awkwardness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I just said food delivered into the studio. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that person was waiting outside the door. I saw that yes. you were on the air, so I think they felt like they just dropped it off. So I mean, it's not like there's a table outside of our studio with multiple desks. It's okay. And there's a holiday party. I'm surprised that food is here. Getting zany. What does that mean? Like, somebody's going to, like, climb a Christmas tree? There's a good chance property will be damaged in the next couple hours here. Yeah, someone, you know, 
little bit too much on the sauce, falls down, pulls something down with them, and you're like, oh, don't worry, we'll clean it up and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, we know who's going to clean it up. Frank's going to be the one who has to clean it up. Someone's going to walk around and look like there's a little bit too much food on the plate. Like, you know, maybe you don't take as much. Someone's going to try to wrap something up and take it home. Yeah, Bianchi. Is he here? He's coming. Oh. He didn't want to come and do the show. I, I, I asked him that. <laughs> okay. I think his thought process is, well, what am I going to do for the you know almost two hours in between? Well, when does this start? 11. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You going to mingle? Uh, sure. Wow. Yeah. I'll mingle right on to the door and you know, yeah, walk around. I might you know, see what healthy foods we got here. Shake some hands. I know. I don't know anybody's name. Hey, you, what is up? Mark How even, you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark, How even, you doing? Even before COVID, you didn't know their names. Yeah. How's the family? Yeah. All right. Great. 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 Yeah. Happy holidays. Good. Oh, to you. you didn't hear. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. 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 Big UCF game. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, how are you doing? All right. <laughs> and then I leave. Yeah. And then cool. somebody's like, "That's Mark Daniels." Yeah. And. He does all the UCF games. Oh, like he goes to the games? Uh, how long has he been doing that? That's great. Yeah, okay. 11 o'clock hour, which includes a great history lesson today, but kicks off with Scott in the News next. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. 11 o'clock hour, WYJM Orlando, WJRR HD2, Coco Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Mar Daniels, Sabita Sports. What up, my news heads? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. 11 o'clock on a Thursday. Another edition of the news. I'm Scott Harris. That's Mark Daniels. We will run through the top stories in the sports world. But first, have to read a text. Tomorrow, we want to know how many big guys Mark threw out during the party. Well, in fairness, I'm likely going to spend about eight minutes Yeah. after the show. Mm-hmm. So you got to keep it in mind. It's one thing if I was here for like two hours. Yeah. But in the eight minutes, I think it's safe to say the over-under is four and a half. Oh, absolutely the it is. The big guy. Yeah. What's going on? Hey. Yeah. So I was, uh, uh, I, I, I just ran to the restroom mm-hmm. during the break, which mm-hmm. uh, Taco Bob's in there having a conversation with somebody who's in a stall. Oh. Uh, come on. I just, you know. <laughs> Wait, wait, what's worse? Stall to stall conversations or stall to out of stall conversations? I kind of think stall to out of stall. So yeah. stall to stall, you're both recognizing solidarity. I, mean, I, I wouldn't do it, but yeah. <laughs> you know. And then on the way back, there's several people that I, I I've never seen that are walking people around, hey, welcome and so forth. And are they like, just are they just waiting for the food to start? Is there anyone like hovering over it? I think there's some people that thought, "Hey, food's out of the la-. maybe it is." I didn't see, but mm-hmm. you know, got a couple of people giving tours. Like, this is the music station. <laughs> Julius Randle scored a season high 34 points, and the Boom. Knicks took <laughs> advantage <laughs> oh. of Nikola Jokic's absence to win in Denver for the first time in 16 years, rallying past the Nuggets 106 to 103. Julius Randle, man, statement game. Yeah. Lock him up. Mm-hmm. He's still under contract there, right? Yes. Okay. Meanwhile, Anthony Edwards scored 35 points. Carl Anthony Towns added 30. And the Minnesota Timberwolves built a 27-point lead in the first half 
in a 126-108 victory over the Orlando Magic. Bull Bull led the Magic with a career-high 26 points and added 12 rebounds. Jalen Suggs added 23 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 assists. Nice. Bull Bull's like really taking advantage of the opportunity given to him. It's a great story. He is. He's a great story, and he's playing well. There Mm -hmm. are some matchup problems there, but he's not their problem. No, not not at all. On Wednesday, the Golden State Warriors suffered their latest blow, a 130-119 loss to the Phoenix Suns that dropped them to 0-8 on the road to start a season for the first time since 1989 when they started 0-9. Their skid also is now the longest overall road losing streak by the defending champions since the 1998-99 Chicago Bulls. Steph dropped 50 in this game, and they still lost. Nice. So they got some problems, man. Uh, suspended. Oh, they 0-8 on the road. That's what I just said. Oh. You weren't paying attention, were you? No. You were updating your fantasy team. You were making a waiver claim, weren't you? No. How's your fantasy team doing? 5-5, five and five, uh, uh, right in the thick of the wild card race. Do you guys have a wild card in your... Well, uh, six teams make it, so the okay. first round's kind of considered a wild card. Suspended All-Star guard Kyrie Irving is nearing completion on the process needed for a return to play and could rejoin the Brooklyn Nets as soon as Sunday's game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Irving will miss his eighth consecutive game on Thursday night in Portland, but he is closing in on the end to his suspension after nearly two weeks. Mm. Sources said. Houston Rockets or Houston Rockets. Houston Astros pitcher Justin Verlander won his third American League Cy Young on Thursday, joining a distinguished club with fewer than a dozen members throughout baseball history. He did so unanimously, and he did so under uh, unprecedented circumstances as a 39-year-old coming off Tommy John surgery, which kept him off a major league mound for the past two seasons. Yeah, I don't know what elixir he's taken, but... Like, what deal did he make? The question is, where is he going to be next year? Not quite sure he's back in Houston. I would take him in Boston. I'm sure you would take him with the, with your Yankees. No, because my luck is he would sign with the Yankees and blow Regrets. his elbow. Yeah. yeah. You want Chris Sale? You can have him. Nope. <sighs> A massive blizzard... No, wait, no. Thunderstorm... Wait, no. Thunder snow, sorry. Thunder snow. A massive right. thunder snow blizzard remains in the forecast for Buffalo, and it could force Sunday's game between the Browns and the Bills out of Orchard Park. Uh, as their reports are, the NFL is looking at several alternate locations which are under consideration, including Detroit. That would make sense for two reasons. One, the stadium is available since the Lions play the Giants in New Jersey. And two, the Bills play in Detroit next Thursday. Other available stadiums in the vicinity are the Link in Philadelphia and FedEx Field in D.C. Mm. So, game could be moved this weekend. And the NFL, in a statement uh, released just about an hour ago, that they will play... I don't think they're going to move the game. You you don't think so? No, they may. uh, If I'm Buffalo, I don't want the game leaving Buffalo. Yeah. So could you add a second Monday night game? Or remember we had the Tuesday game. But the problem is they play Thursday. Oh. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So you kind of have to move it. We just ask high school kids to play two games in four days. So, yeah. 
The NFL will play at least four games in Germany uh, up to 2025. In addition to, uh, it will be uh, Munich and Frankfurt will be the uh, uh, sites for the German games. Wait, say that again? The NFL will play at least four games in Germany up to 2025. Oh, 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 game each year. Yeah. Munich and, and Frankfurt. Right. Are the two uh, uh, host cities for those games. Mm-hmm. That's it on the news. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Just go there and leave us a five-star rating. This is, of course, a five-star segment, so go there and leave us a five-star rating. You'll be watching tonight the Thursday Night Football in the shop. LeBron's... No. Uh, no? No. He's never on the show. I think he's supposed to be there tonight. Like, he'll be like, hey, guys, welcome to the shop, and then he leaves? Rob Lowe's on. Who's a big NFL fan? This thing on. <laughs> You're a Rob Lowe guy, right? I do like Rob Lowe. Yeah. 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 No, he's an NFL guy. Because Fox put him in the stadium with a hat on that said NFL a couple times? That was cool, though, right? Yeah. Okay. I do listen to his podcast once in a while. So we Of got course a, he has a podcast. Of course a, he has a podcast. So does my mailman. Uh, the history lesson coming up at the bottom of the hour when we come back. Uh, an award that probably most of you had no idea was named after a Hall of Famer. We'll explain next. Wow. The Bean Sports, Mark Daniels, brought to you by our good friends at Hale Hill and Jacobs and online at hhjlegal.com. We'll talk to Richard Hale, sports law expert, on our program tomorrow with a lot of things uh, to uh, get to. Um, in this state, uh, the name Walter Jones is quite familiar with, of course, Florida State fans. Became phenomenal, a football player at Florida State, and then one of the best in the National Football League. And... Um, has certainly earned his place when you want to talk about great offensive linemen uh, to play uh, the game. You may not know that his name is part of an award uh, that is given out, and our next guest can tell us all about that. Uh, Mike Fraser uh, is the founder of JUCO Weekly, which covers uh, junior college football and has played the role in helping uh, get this award to be the best JUCO football player in America, the Walter Jones Trophy. And Mike joins us. Mike, good morning. How are you? Uh, Mark, good morning. Thanks for having me on the program. Uh, let's start. Give me the background about uh, how the name came about. Then I'll ask you about Walter, and some may not know about his story, but what led to the co- connection of you and Walter to put his name on this trophy? Well, Walter Jones played uh, Juco ball down in Mississippi, and uh, I broke into the uh, Juco business back in 2010, and just uh, in, in covering Juco sports in Mississippi, uh, meeting coaches and athletic directors around the state. Uh, the name Walter Jones was pretty good. In fact, I saw Walter Jones play at the JUCO level back in the 1990s. He was there in 1993 and 94 at Holmes Community College in Goodman, Mississippi, which is just north of Jackson. And I remember watching him and among other guys, and being a Chicago guy myself, I remember calling my buddies back home in Chicago after covering a couple of these games as a broadcaster, saying, guys, this Juco ball down here, 
this this is different. These guys are D1 guys. They're fast and they're hungry, and they've got that eye of the tiger. And that is exactly you know, what a guy like Walter Jones was. So I found out about him, covered him, and the JUCOs in general have always been uh, underappreciated and undercovered. And, and there's a myriad of reasons for that. But I'm like, you know, there's a way to cover this league. So I started doing it in 2010, and then just making contacts across the country, uh, was able to meet Walter Jones, and he fits all the criteria of what we're looking for to name an award after. Uh, we couldn't find a better guy, and that is how we came to uh, the Walter Jones Trophy. The inaugural Walter Jones Trophy will be awarded at the Orlando Touchdown Club Monday evening, uh, and then we're, we're pumped and excited for that. We're going to talk to Walter on Monday's show. You helped assist with that. We look forward uh, to that. Um, and, of course, Walter, as I mentioned, became one of the greats. First year of eligibility into the Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame. Tell me about the finalists this year, a little bit about each of those uh, individuals. Sure. Well, our three finalists, we've got uh, Dylan Leibel, quarterback out of Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, they are the number one team in the country. We had them right preseason number one all the way through, uh, and they finally got to the official number one ranking by the NJCAA about halfway through the season. Uh, uh, one of three rock stars. Third in touchdown passes with 20 and 10 games played. Uh, and, and, and the great thing about Libel is they've pulled them after three quarters in four of his 10 games because they've had comfortable leads. Uh, he's fifth in efficiency rating. Uh, Hutch goes as Dylan goes. I mean, there's a bullseye on his back and that team every week. So he's one of them. We've got a feature on Dylan that we just put up this morning on JucoWeekly.com. Uh, and, and Hutchinson is currently the number one team in the country. Jackson Filer, defensive end out of Iowa Western. Ten games, Mark, ten games, 14 and a half sacks. 26 tackles for loss. Those are both number one in the country. Uh, of course, he's getting offers on the Division One level as well. And, and Filer has been instrumental, the leader of that Iowa Western defense based out there at Council Bluffs. Uh, our third finalist, a running back out of Mississippi, Jones College, Robert Henry. Wire to wire, led the country in rushing. Two, uh, two games where he had over 200 yards rushing. He's averaging 130 yards per game. He rushed for 1,302 yards in 10 games and uh, was a marked guy on film by the second or third week, and nobody could stop him. Even though Jones was knocked out in the first round of the postseason, he went up against the number two defense in the country and rushed it 187 times. He also leads the nation in touchdowns with 18. So uh, our selection committee that we put together is from multiple regions around the country, and I'm very pleased with the effort, the work, and the results they provided us uh, to present this uh, inaugural Walter Jones Award. Mike, as you know, there's some parts of the country that uh, a junior college football is very popular, a number of teams. People always scratch their head about Florida, talk about ideal states, but for those that may not know, just share how strong junior college football remain despite the growth of uh, of the fbs and fcs it remains very strong across the country no doubt kansas texas mississippi iowa those are uh, four big ones right there uh you've got a bunch of independent programs as well you know texas has a ton of jucos that that uh have a have terrific runs and uh players you know i think people would really be surprised at how many juco players 
throughout the decades have come through that system and made it onto the NFL. Roger Staubach and Aaron Rodgers are just two of them, and the list, believe me, is long and distinguished. So uh, coaches at the Division I level know what JUCOs can do, but this list that we have, these coaches, you know, the, the Robert Henry kid is a, came from a 1A high school out of Lumberton, uh, Mississippi. You've got Jackson Filer. People look at him. He, he came out of a program in Iowa. Coaches at the JUCO level are very good at what they do, generally speaking. They know where to go to find the talent, from Crowley, Louisiana, up to the, uh, to the rural areas of Nebraska and, and Iowa. These kids are there, and the JUCOs play a terrific uh, role in getting these guys to the Division One or 1AA or Division Two level. So while they all may not be going to Alabama, LSU, or UCF, or Florida State, they're going somewhere if they've got talent. Uh, and there's great stories about doing college kids that have gone on to enjoy great uh, careers at uh, FCS schools. And Walter Jones is a pretty good example that he can go on to become uh, a Hall of Famer. You can learn more by uh, going to WalterJonesTrophy.com and uh, read all about uh, the inaugural Walter Jones Trophy. Again, presented this coming Monday at the Orlando Touchdown Club. We're going to talk to Walter coming up on uh, Monday's show. And uh, Mike's group has done a great job in getting this award going and a great name attached to it. Mike, thank you so much. We look forward to talking to Walter on Monday and the award on Monday night. I appreciate it. Mark, have a good weekend. Thank you much. Uh, Again, we'll talk to the Hall of Famer coming up on uh, Monday's uh, show. Tonight, UCF football talk on Night Live uh, with Gus Malzahn and some night players. We'll do that 7 o'clock at Island Wing Company down by the campus of uh, UCF. And again, the Knights and Navy, Saturday morning, 9 a.m. pregame show. And the kick of that game is set for 11 o'clock. Can I just say something? Hand up from the back room, yes. Uh, to, To the listeners that keep texting this in, uh, Mark doesn't decide what time the games are played. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, they asked me and said, when should we play the Navy game? And I said, how about 11? And they go, sounds good to us. Yeah. Why? What did I have to do with it? People, No, people keep texting. Can you ask Mark why it's being played this early? And I'll tell you again for those that don't know. Uh, ESPN commits to conferences to televise X number of games of your teams per year. Okay. And along the way, they try to tell you how many will air on ESPN, ABC, ESPN2, and then dot, 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 ESPNU, and dot, 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 ESPN News, and then dot, 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 CBS Sports Network. And at the end of the season, they try to squeeze in what's known as an additional television window which typically in these networks are three games, a noon game, and then the window of the afternoon game, and a night game. Well, this weekend on ESPN2, ESPN is adding an additional TV window. So, in order to do that, they're going to play games at 11, 2.15, and... Nine. See what we did there? Give ourselves three hours and 15 minutes, so that's a fourth window. So UCF and Navy was chosen to play at 11. The 215 window is Oregon State and Arizona State. The 530 window 
It's Georgia Tech and North Carolina, and then UAB LSU is the 9 o'clock game. That's how they're squeezing four in. Now, yes, you could say, as I wondered when I saw that, wait a minute, why couldn't you play at noon, 3.37, and then maybe 10.30 with the Arizona State game? Well, I, I don't make that schedule. So, had UCF lost at Tulane, this is a little bit of a longer story, had UCF lost to Tulane, then this weekend's game would have been at 4 o'clock or 7 or 7.30. 4 o'clock on either ESPN News or you, 7 or 7.30 on ESPN 3, where you can then pick the time, uh, but pretty much locked in at that. But they won, and being ranked, that was the window that they had left for them. Does that make sense? Total sense. So if you want to blame somebody, you can blame ESPN, and you can blame the American for their position in how ESPN assigns games. So does that make sense? Yes. So that's why the game's at 11 o'clock. Don't blame, don't blame Mark. Is it ideal? No. Your team plays seven times at home, maybe an eight this year. Your team is ranked where they are. Your team controls destiny to keep winning and host a conference championship game and get to a major bowl. It's up to you to decide if you want to go. And if you're into your team... Why does it matter if it's 11 a.m. or 3.30? And if you go, well, I have this responsibility for my kids, then that's your, then that's your responsibility. Then you do what you think is best for you. Um, but if you're a fan that loves your team and you want to get to the game, then go and make it a great morning and have fun. And then after they win, then go enjoy the rest of your day. We come back. A history lesson next. <laughs> Yes, indeed, boys and girls. Time for a history lesson. Gather around. Put on your favorite old sweatshirt that probably should be washed, but you don't want to wash it. Grab your favorite unhealthy food, and let's hang out for a little bit. Learn a little bit in today's history lesson. What do you think about that? I like that. Do you have one of those uh, sweatshirts that probably should be tossed so you don't? I don't think so. No? No. If you lose something, you drop something, didn't you? I mean, you did. Oh, you tangled yourself up. I mean, you got these uh, chairs with wheels, and it kind of rolls over your, like... Yes, Mark, we just got those installed and, this week. Oh, you know. Anyway, I'm good. All right. <clears throat> well, we're coming up on an anniversary of something in sports. And, well, the dates are not uh, exact. It'll be basically one day off. But uh, we're going to go back 40 years. Okay. On November 20th in 1982, it was a busy day of college football. And, you know, you take a look at the schedule. This wasn't one of the marquee games that was jumping off the board, but it was a rivalry game. And, you know, we're at that point of the season, that rivalry game. That's what happens now. Yeah. USC, UCLA are playing. Next week, a lot of rivalry games, uh, just what it is in college football. These two teams didn't have great seasons. Neither was ranked coming in. But to them, it was important. Scott, we love when rivalries are playing for something, right? Of course. Um, this would be the 85th version of this game. And they're playing for an axe. Yeah. It doesn't like playing for an axe. Exactly. You win the game, you take control of the axe for the year. You win the axe. There you go. It was the 85th big game. That's between Cal and Stanford. 
Some of you now may be guessing what that was. That day, USA Network. Scott, they used to televise college football. No, they don't. Uh, they used to. No, they air outside of wrestling SU- and SUV or uh, SVU. Um, uh, crime shows, that is. Uh, Barry Tompkins and John Beasley were the broadcaster, uh, broadcasters for the USA Network uh, uh, coverage of Cal and Stanford. The two teams came into the game again, neither ranked. Cal uh, was in a position to have a winning season. They were 6-4, and four, but back then, Scott, you weren't guaranteed playing in a bowl game just because you were bowl eligible. In fact, nobody was looking to invite them to a bowl game. That's kind of cold, isn't <laughs> That's it? That's very cold. The other side was a exciting quarterback named John Elway playing his last regular season game because Elway determined he was going off to the National Football League or to play for the Yankees if he didn't like who he was being drafted by. Um, Stanford's 5-5, five and five, but they had an exciting 5-5 five and five season. Uh, that year, they went to Ohio State, beat the Buckeyes, who were ranked 13th, um, lost at Arizona State, who was ranked 11th. USC was ranked 14th. They beat number 2 Washington, 43-41, uh, but then lost a couple of games before this game against Cal. And nonetheless, a big football game. Cal grabs a 10 nothing lead at the half on a field goal. They had one blocked earlier. And led 10 nothing. Cal missed another field goal in the first drive of the second half. Stanford goes 80 yards. And they score in a somewhat controversial catch by Mike Tolliver. No replay. looked as if he was out of bounds. But John Elway's touchdown pass would stand. Stanford went up 14-10 after scoring another touchdown by Vincent White. But Cal scored, and next thing you know, it's 19-14, a failed two-point try by Cal on their last score turned out to be big. When Stanford cut the lead to 19-17 in a field goal, it was a two-point game. After losing the ball in a fumble in a sex possession, Stanford got the ball back in its own 20-yard line with 127 to go. Well, with Cal leading 19-17 in the fourth quarter, this Elway kid, he faced fourth and 17 from his own 13-yard line. And as much as we marvel at what the Vikings did on the road against the Buffalo Bills and <laughs> Justin Jefferson, he got a marble when it came to fourth and 17 from their own 13. And John Elway hits Emil Harry for 29 yards. And they get the ball within field goal range for their kicker. Elway calls a timeout with eight seconds left. Uh, and stop and think about this. They were going to kick the field goal. But John Elway called timeout with eight seconds left. Scott, if he calls timeout with four or three seconds left, and they kick a field goal, there are no other plays, right? No. Game ends. Make or miss. Win or lose. Call timeout with eight seconds to go. Mark Harmon. Not that Mark Harmon. The actor and one-time college football player. A different Mark Harmon. uh, Is sent out to kick. Now, the reason why Coach Paul Wiggin wanted a timeout with eight seconds to go. Why? Because if we bobble the snap, we can recover and call timeout to kick it again. They wanted a chance to have, if needed, a second play to kick the field goal from 35 yards out. Mm-hmm. That's why Elway, following instructions, called for the timeout. Harmon kicked it from 35 yards, and Stanford takes a 20-19 to lead. The Stanford sideline goes crazy. 
some of their fans begin to celebrate as well. That celebration leads to a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty called on Stanford, enforcing the ensuing kickoff. Back then, we kicked off from the 40. So the 15-yard penalty put the ball where for Stanford? Back at their own 25-yard line. Well, now they got to kick off from the 25-yard line, but there's a few seconds left here. The great Joe Sarkey, longtime voice of the Cal Bears and the San Francisco 49ers, with his most famous call ever as we pick it up with Stanford's kickoff. What a recovery by Stanford. You have to give them all sorts of credit. Fourth and 17 at their own 13-yard line to defeat Derryman in the face, and they saved it. They pulled it out. What a show. All right, here we go with the kickoff. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of. The ball is still loose as they get it to Rogers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go into the end zone. Will it count? The Bears have scored, but the bands are out on the field. There were flags all over the place. Everybody's milling around on the field. Sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. California has won the big game over Stanford. Oh, excuse me for my voice, but I have never, never seen anything like it in the history of I've ever seen any game in my life. The Bears have won it. There will be no extra point. The play of the big game. And so many side stories to go with it. Stanford special team coach Fred Van Appen, he called for the squib kick. Richard Rogers of Cal tells his team before they go out for the kickoff, whatever you do, don't get tackled with a ball. Just make sure you throw it back. Cal, in mass confusion, had 10 men on the field to return the kick. They were one short. Kevin Moen of Cal noticed that Cal had lined up with 10. He moved a few yards away from where he normally be for kickoff, and when the ball was kicked, it happened to bounce right to him. Well, after the squib kick, Moen gets it, and he knows we just got to start laddering this thing back. And Richard Rogers gets it. He runs a little bit. He flips it back to Dwight Gardner. Gardner starts running, and the Stanford players are coming near him. Before being tackled, he pitches the ball back to Rogers. Rogers dodges a few Stanford players and starts moving down the field. And as he moves down the field, he looks up and pitches it to Marriott Ford. Ford is in stride and looks up and sees the Stanford band with all 144 members on the field coming out of the south end zone. And he's racing towards it. Ford avoids a Stanford player, sprints upfield into the band. He hits a few people in the band. Three Stanford players try to smother him. Everyone's going crazy. Next thing you know, he throws it back. Moen has it, and he's racing towards the end zone. A Stanford player misses him, can't catch him. He runs past the band into the end zone. The Cal players are celebrating. The officials have no idea what do we do in a situation like this. Paul Wiggin, the Stanford coach, and his players argue that Dwight Gardner's knee is down. 
negating what should have been the rest of the play. Officials huddle. It's massive chaos going on. The question also is, was the fifth lateral, not the first, second, third, or fourth, but the fifth lateral, was it legal? It took place in the middle of the Stanford band. Referee Charles Moffitt would be interviewed several times and says he called the officials together, all kind of wondering, what do we do? There are penalty flags against Stanford for coming on the field. He asked, did anybody blow a whistle? And of his crew, they all said no. He then said, were the laterals legal? And says, one ref, yes. The line judge, Gordon Reese, he said, Charlie, that guy scored on that. And I said, what? He goes, I had no idea the guy scored. Only one guy, the officiating crew, even knew that he got in the end zone. They kind of wondered, that he get tackled somewhere? And what do we do? After hearing that he scored, the head ref, Charles Moffitt, declared, touchdown. Touchdown. TV replays still don't show whether or not the knee was down on one of the laterals. It also is kind of iffy if one of the laterals is a forward pass because of the camera angle. You weren't shooting with 12 or 14 cameras it's one. in a game like that. And many versions of the play have been told depending on what side you believe. The Cal side will tell you the knee was never down. One of the laterals was legit. It was not a forward lateral. It's just a camera angle. And the Stanford band on the field shouldn't have negated the play. The Stanford band will tell you the knee was down, the ladder was illegal, and they never should have allowed the play, and yet it stood. There have been dozens and dozens of pieces and even documentaries done about the play over the course of years, and it did stand. And Cal, coached by Joe Cap, got the win 25-20. to 20. Forty years ago, on November 20th, the famous play of the big game between Cal and Stanford. What do you got? I I can only imagine what the reaction would be if something like this happened today. I <laughs> you can't you can't really imagine. Um, can I end with a few things? Absolutely. These are the following individuals that were on the field that day, other than John Elway, mm-hmm. Ron Rivera, mm-hmm. Remote Ron. Coach of the Washington Commanders, Gary Plummer. Okay. Went on to be a Super Bowl uh, winning player. A um, bunch of other guys continued their careers in the National Football League, those being the two most famous guys other than Elway that played in that game. I thought you were going to be like, and this person was in the band on the field. No, no. <laughs> oh, there's many people that have written about that. I um, know, yeah. But, yeah, that's the, the, that's the famous play 40 years ago. On November 20th, 1982. Some unsuspecting trombone player just gets leveled. It's great. The video is unbelievable. Uh, all right, back to wrap up our Thursday show next. Time for the latest news, gossip, trends, and off-the-wall stories. Trends. Ooh. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Iowa, Iowa State have agreed to extend the Cyhawk series through 2027. Nice. Good. Yeah. They could play, but mm. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are ending Bedlam. Yeah. In a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, they'll play that uh, this weekend. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Charles Barkley, a little bit of criticism at John Morant about helping your teammates be better. Oh. So John Morant went on Twitter and posted something that I guess could be viewed as obscene back at Charles Barkley. I'll leave it. There. If you want okay. to go find John Morant on Twitter, you can see what he posted 
to Charles Barkley. I guess it's a term that kids use to mean something. Mm, okay. You know? Yeah. Want to stay classy. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Just stay classy, man. Do you want to guess how many followers John Morant has on Twitter? 847,000. Oh, no. Too high? You're way too low. 4 million. 2.4 million. Okay. Did you see what he posted? Yes. Major League Baseball apparently investigating the Yankees and Mets. Oh, about yeah. About Aaron Judge. Like, what it, this he's is, one of their own players. What is it, well, no, this is interesting. It, it, with the story posted at the Mets' own website, Yeah, that kind of indicates that maybe the two ownerships had discussed whether the Mets would pursue Aaron Judge. Mm-hmm. Kind of giving an indication that Steve Cohen would not. Yeah. And some are questioning if that is a violation of the collective bargaining agreement where you're not supposed to have what can be viewed as colluding. But, you know, it's... I guess unless you have actual evidence, it's kind of hard. It's like trying to enforce Tampering. transfer rules in college football about when one talks to another. So No, just... just- Open, open discussions, open tampering, none of this legal tampering period or whatever that is. Mm. Anyway, so goes uh, the offseason to come in Major League Baseball. Uh, you're not here tomorrow. I'm not here tomorrow or Monday. Wow. Yeah. Right. I'm going to be here tomorrow. I know you will. Prince Vasquez back from that Cowboy overtime loss in Green Bay. Yeah. Talked to him about that and a lot of busy things. So. High school football preview with J.C. Carnahan juggling the schedule some teams as well. I might be going to a game this weekend. What game? High school football. Wow. Edgewater. Playoff game. Wow, yep. Home playoff game. Only shows up when the big games come to town. Is that it? Yeah. No, honestly, forget. Like It's like, oh, yeah. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us. Miss any of today's show. Always catch it on demand at 96thegame.com where you find your favorite podcast type on the beat of sports. Scott produced. I'm Mark Daniels, the beat of sports.